The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member. And we don't mean your Aunt Dolores. You stink! The TNT Shop has it all at tntradio.live. You're with Chris Smith on today's News Talk Radio. TNT. Hey, a couple of bits and pieces before we get to John Ruddick. I also want to catch up with our cyber expert, Alex Zaharoff-Royt, because there's a major mRNA COVID vaccination ad campaign going on on one of Sydney's most prolific radio stations. Don't they read the real news? Don't they know what's going on in the British High Court? Don't they know the claims for vaccine injuries that are happening around the world and what we now know about the inefficient and impotent vaccines that we were told did everything we needed them to do during the during the pandemic? Aren't they across all of that, or is that not allowed to be voiced on their radio station? I'll get to Alex about that in just a second. From Chicago, Trust Wave says cyber gangs are attacking the global retail sector with everything they have, from malicious email attachments to automated bots to remote access Trojans. Trustwave said the shift to e-commerce had made retailers more vulnerable to attacks. Research from Trustwave Spider Labs said the barrage of persistent threats poses significant risks to the retail sector. The threat group LockBit accounted for 34% of ransomware incidents targeting the retail sector, according to the research. Wow. A majority of the targeted retailers who reported a breach were from the United States, which counted for 57% of reports. Around 8% came from the UK, 7 from Canada. Credential access attempts made up around 30% of reported incidents in retail, most of them deployed by threat actors using brute force tactics. It is everywhere, is it not? You've probably been impacted yourself personally. Uh, Meanwhile, renewable energy firm Orsted has halted the development of two US offshore wind projects and said related impairments had surged above $5 billion as the industry grapples with supply chain delays and higher costs. In other words, these are just way too expensive for the biggest incorporations to sustain. So they're just packing up. They won't be starting two major projects in the United States for wind power. This is the world's largest offshore wind developer. It said it would stop developing its Ocean Wind 1 and 2 projects in New Jersey. And I mentioned this last week on the program. Related impairments could amount to as much as 39.4 billion Danish crowns, which is 5.58 billion. I mentioned that they'd announced that they weren't going ahead, but I've now got those are big figures. Big figures, 5 billion impairments. In other words, they can't afford to go ahead with the project, so they called them off last week. At least now, we know why. Um, Now, this is a bizarre thing. Given what we now know, given all the data that we've been handed on mRNA vaccination since the pandemic, why would any media outlet decide they needed to run pro-mRNA vaccine commercials? Well, for one... For one, the booster shot rate going on in Australia at the moment is a joke. Everyone has woken up. Everyone has woken up and gone, sorry, I don't regard this as an emergency, despite what you've been telling me for about three years. I won't be taking any booster shots. In the United States, it's about 3.1%. 3.1% in boosters. 
and people are prepared to try and keep healthy, do the right thing, keep their distance from people and move on. It doesn't have any kind of annihilating death toll to deal with at the moment and people therefore have made their decision. So what's a media outlet like 2GB in Sydney doing running ads for mRNA or is it all about money? Is it because they need the money from Pfizer? Maybe. Alex Zaharoff-Royt is joining me right now. Alex, this is a bizarre story. It is, yes. Well, Moderna started a campaign. I mean, Moderna's the evil twin, as it were, of Pfizer. You know, they've come up, cooked up this mRNA technology, which they say is the answer to everything. And uh, they're advertising it, as you say. The booster rates are going down. And I just was listening to, you know, DGB. I listened to it every, every now and then. I heard this ad that was talking about how uh, mRNA is the answer and th- this changes everything. And I thought, well, it certainly has changed everything. And 2GB must be accepting the cash because they need the money. And this is in stark contrast to TNT Radio, which has ads from a US doctor advising people not to vaccinate their children with the COVID vaccination because of all the problems that we've seen with myocarditis and everything else. And so, you know, it's good to see that TNT Radio has this uh, honour, won't take this uh, blood money, you know, this tainted cash. And uh, it's very sad to see some of the mainstream media you know, promoting booster shots and promoting mRNA. Yeah, look, they can do what they want. I'm not interested in the radio station running the ads, but for those who might listen to this radio station and maybe a little bit of 2GB, you've got to take it easy. We know a lot more uh, about this jab than we knew during the pandemic. We know that it doesn't do what we were told, which is prevent other infections. We know that it won't stop you getting COVID, despite the fact that we were told it would. Um, We also know that it creates far more problems medically than were listed when they first released this damn thing. And the numbers that we're now seeing uh, starting to be reported are a lot more than were emerging during the pandemic because, um, you know, we're starting to understand what people have gone through. The cases are now emerging because people haven't got better from what they suffered. And all all you have to do is cover that court case in Britain, the High Court case involving over 80 claimants who could be getting $160 million because of um, various ailments, deaths, deaths, permanent disabilities that they suffered as a result of vaccines. So why they would promote mRNA vaccination um, at this stage, i got no idea. I have no idea. Someone obviously in the organisation is a bedwetter who's very, very scared of catching COVID-19, I'd say, Alex. Absolutely. Look, Smitty, you're spot on. And uh, look, I'll leave it there because I know you've got uh, John Ruddick to get to. As one of your listeners says, it's the best segment of the week. So keep up the great work and I'll talk to you soon. Good on you, mate. Thank you very much for that. Alex Zaharoff-Royd, who you'll hear each and every Wednesday on the program talking cyber. And we love having him on the program. Okay, it is that time of the week. A fellow that we love having on on Friday because he tends to sum up exactly what's going on in a very simple, understandable fashion. He is the leader of the Liberal Democrats in the state of New South Wales. He's in the upper house, the Legislative Council, so he's an MLC, and his name is John Ruddick. John Ruddick, welcome back to TNT Radio. Good afternoon, Chris, and I'm looking forward to joining you this time next week via video. Is that is that what we're doing? Yes, yes. I've forgotten about that. I've been so busy this week, but yeah, I haven't told my audience much about that but yes we will be visual so you get yourself your app and you listen to the radio station but you can also see it at the same time 
Well, I'm looking forward to that. I'll go into my parliamentary office for that, so we've got a nice little background. Better, better than my uh, home office. Maybe we need to say it's called TNT TV. That's got a ring to it. TNT TV does have a very good <laughs> ring to it, absolutely. <laughs> I'll leave that to people who get paid for that sort of thing. Hey, listen, Dennis Shanahan is the most outstanding writer of politics in Australia. He's from The Australian. He wrote today that Peter Dutton is running the political and legislative agenda from the opposition leader's office, while Anthony Albanese is in the United States at APEC. Uh, the government has completely caved in to Dutton's demands for tougher controls on the 84 criminals released from immigration detention. And it's entirely the right move too, isn't it, John? Well, look, it is. And, you know, to give the Labor Party their credit, they learnt their lesson the hard way over border security thanks to Kevin's stupid rut. Okay, so, so Howard, <laughs> sto- Howard stopped the boats. There, there were boats coming in under Keating. There were boats coming in under Howard. It was bad. Howard wasn't doing much about it. Pauline Hanson was the one in the late 90s who was saying, hey, this is a, uh, a very bad thing for the country, all these boat people. Now, then it escalated with the Tampa and then Howard then followed Hanson and we've had very, we had strong border security until Howard lost. Now, then, then Rudd gets in and he, you know, you know, being the do-gooder, being the genius, he goes and dismantles it. And then we have, you know, thousands of people arrive and thousands of people died on their way to try and get here. So Labor, to their credit, have learnt that lesson the hard way where they basically are in lockstep with the Liberal Party. Now, what's happened with this um, High Court decision is this is the thing that hasn't been, um, that the public isn't aware of. In August this year, the Chief Justice retired. Mm. And how, how it works is the, the, the basically the Prime Minister, but officially the Cabinet, gets to appoint whoever the hell they want to be the, a, a new uh, a, a justice on the Supreme it's Court. The PM. Uh, the it's the PM. It's the PM, and it always is the PM. Correct. It's regarded as the PM's captain's pick, and the Cabinet goes along with it. Correct, 100%. So who did Albo choose to repl- replace someone who was very much a centrist? The uh, you know Not left, not right. The, the previous Chief Justice was very good. And then they, who does Albo appoint? A hard left-wing activist, yeah. uh, Justice Robert uh, Beats-Jones. Now, someone now, told me today that I spoke to about Stephen Gagler. They said to me that Stephen Gagler and Albo did a lot of work together on some of the left-wing causes at university. Well, yes, look, Stephen But I, don't, I haven't confirmed also- that yet. I'm going to do a little bit of research over the weekend, yeah. but that wouldn't surprise me. No, no, absolutely doesn't surprise me, and I, I suspect it's true. It's got certainly got the ring of authenticity about it. Yeah. Now, now, but but the chief justice isn't that important. That's still just one of uh, seven justices. But the important one was there was a vacancy on the high court in August, and 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 the, it was because the chief justice retired. And yes, Albo appointed his left wing mate to be the chief justice, but it doesn't mean that much. The, the, the chief justice has still got one vote uh, now. But the, what was very significant is that Albo then appointed to the vacancy, uh, not to be the Chief Justice, but just to be on the High Court, a big left-winger, Robert Beach-Jones. That's why we had this decision this uh-huh. week, because of Albo's mate. Yep. Albo appointing his left-wing mate. Yep. We, haven't, we haven't read the judgment. We know what the judgment is, but we won't get the judgment maybe till next year. Yeah. Uh, but Dennis Shanahan's uh, bigger point, he's saying that Albo's uh, – sorry, Dutton – 
is setting the agenda. Well, he's 100% right that Dutton has absolutely set the agenda this week on yeah. this, you know, the, these, these 82 uh, criminals that are now on the loose. Uh, but, look, I mean, I think he, I think Dennis is overstating it. Look, I agree with you he's a good writer, but, I mean, what else has he set the agenda on, okay? Now, he was weak on the voice, Mr Dutton. It took a year to work he out he's going to vote no. Uh, and he's still... Uh, it's still official Liberal Party Peter Dutton policy that we're going to have another referendum on constitutional recognition of <laughs> Aboriginals and we're going to have local voices. Although now, he's, he's playing shown, it down, he's playing it down. Well, yeah, he's playing it down. It just shows it was all a stunt to start, to start with, right? Yeah. Okay, but anyway, so look, look. Me- See, this gaggler fellow, we're going to expect more decisions of a similar ilk, John Ruddick, because this gaggler fellow is a notorious left-winger. He's right into open borders. Come one, come all, and then we'll work it out later on. He's pro-union to the max. He's pro-minorities as well. Wait till you hear what's going to come out of the High Court over the next 10 years. Yeah, and it's all much- – yes, you're right. We've now got a Chief Justice who's a big left-winger. But we've also got this new guy who's on, and that has tilted the balance. Now, you know, really since uh, we had a left-wing high court when they gave us Marbo and Wick, uh, but then Howard fixed it up, and we've had a pretty good high court since. Yes. It's not, and the good thing about the high court in Australia is, unlike the Supreme Court in America, it's not that politicised. No. Okay, and it's generally been pretty good. But Albo's out now to stack left-wing mates. into. So, yes, this will probably be the first of many. Terrible decisions. Yeah. Can I just say, I'm hearing all kinds of whinging from the left about why these detainees are not being treated like Australian convicts who get released. Why can't they be treated the same way, just like Australian convicts? I was listening to an ABC radio host yesterday afternoon on a very long in-traffic trip from the Gold Coast to Brisbane argue this case. And then, then she got a Guardian reporter on and the Guardian reporter told this host, oh, all these people... People have served their time. You know, they should be released anyway. Well, hang on a second. The person that literally exploded the body of the pregnant woman and had fled his country, I think it was Indonesia, he hadn't served any time. He escaped custody. He came to Australia. He's one of the 84. Well, it's all appalling, but I want to put it in perspective. Okay, now... There's 8 billion human beings on this planet and, you know, they all want to live. Their ideal is to live in an English-speaking country, America, England, Canada, New Zealand, Australia. Now, do you know what? We are extremely lucky in Australia that we've got this magnificent border wall called the, the, the Timor Sea. They can't just walk over the border. Now, in poor old America... Yeah, they just get flooded with these people, and about 90% of them are males. Okay, so it's, but they're not they're economic refugees. And in Europe, they just they just jump on a little boat to go across the Mediterranean, and they hardly get stopped. And then they and then they walk over, you know, uh, via Turkey and Greece. But Australia's here, and we can be very selective about who our migrants are. Now, there was a poll in the Sydney Morning Herald today, saying, you know, do we want uh, to accept Gaza refugees? Uh. Nine percent of Australians said yes. We want Gaza refugees. How now, many? Nine. Nine. Nine percent. So, ninety-one percent said they don't want them. Wow. Okay. So, so I now now who's that nine percent? It's the nine percent of green voters. Yes. Okay, because they they're all about undermining and overthrowing society. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's incredible, isn't it? I've got to take a break and then we'll come back with you. Plenty more to talk about, John Ruddick. Um, uh, Quite amazing. You know, they they can protest on behalf of the Palestinians, as can many of the Arab-speaking countries in the Middle East, but they don't dare take them into their, you know, their homes or into their suburbs. No, 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 no. That's not their problem. That's Israel's problem. Boy, oh, boy. Let's take a break. John Ruddick right after this on TNT Radio. TNT Radio's Rick Munn. I'm looking also at South Africa in terms of uh, ESCOM, which is a company that we have talked about a lot here. That's the South African electricity provider. ESCOM has posted a massive 24 billion rand loss for 2022-2023 financial year, exacerbated by a huge escalation in load shedding, which is basically blackouts, for want of a better expression, mounting municipal debt, and skyrocketing losses due to criminal activity. That's both within the company, I would say, and outside of the company. The group presented its first full-year financials for the 12 months ending 31st of March on Tuesday. It said the year was characterized by a significant deterioration of performance, including a steep decline in energy availability of 56%, down from 62%. So half the country are having difficulty getting any electricity at all. And most places are undergoing what's called a load shedding, which means for up to 10 hours per day, you could be disconnected from the electricity supply in South Africa. Locked and loaded with Rick Munn on today's News Talk TNT Radio. The Lights is Britain's far-right conspiracy theory paper spreading hate and vicious lies. No, that's what the BBC say. The Light is the only national newspaper bringing you the real news and informed opinion on what's really going on today. You can subscribe, order copies, submit articles and read back issues on our website, thelightpaper.co.uk and see for yourself why the establishment are so worried about the uncensored truth getting out to people every month. They've launched a new service called Wake Up Your Neighbours where you can get copies delivered to the streets right around you if you don't want to do it yourself. The Light Paper. Not for right, just right so far. Thelightpaper.co.uk CO2 sustains all life on Earth, but now it's in long-term decline. We face the return of an ice age. We mandate that the truth be told. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. I've got the leader in New South Wales for the Liberal Democrats, John Ruddick, with me now. Good to see APEC leaders gathering in San Francisco. Um, The governor, Gavin Newsom, has got all the homeless people and put them in cardboard boxes and hid them. Um, It's much better to have China in the room than not even contactable. But Joe ruined the party a little bit yesterday by, you know, shaking hands and walking around a park with him and calling him nice names. And then when he went to his press conference, he called him a dictator again. The Chinese are blowing up deluxe. Oh, dear. Should he apologise? Or is this the sort of hard language we need to hear from Joe even after he meets Xi Jinping? Well, look, uh, yeah, I firstly, I think it's a very good thing that the leader of China and the leader of the United States are having a friendly meeting. That's important, okay, because we do not want superpower conflict in the Asia Pacific. Okay, now we'd all like, we'd all love China to be a liberal democracy, okay, but I mean, let's let the Chinese sort that out. And it's good to see that they're getting along well. Now, um, about uh, Joe saying that uh, she was a dictator, well, obviously we all know that's right. Yeah. But putting that aside, Uh, But do you uh, say that when we all gather around and have a tea party? 
look, look, this is, look, if it was President Reagan or President Clinton or President Obama or even President Trump, it would have been a massive uh, diplomatic crisis, okay? However, everybody, every single human being on the world, including people in the highlands of Papua New Guinea and the jungles of the Congo, they all know that Joe Biden, the so-called leader of the free world, has got a major sen- senility problem. He's, he's not with it. He's not with it. So they're right? letting it ride, you reckon? But, but of course. Of course. They, they, know, they know he's lost his marbles uh, and they know that he said something offensive. Yeah. And, yes, they've put out a statement saying, you know, well, blah, 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 you know, we don't like being called dictators. Okay, but they're not going to care about it because they just know he's, he's a complete Moron. It's like on Christmas Day after a few too many sherries, uh, Uncle Joe on the other end, just behind the Christmas tree, always babbles on about something stupid. Exactly. And, and Uncle Joe is going to say something after a few sherries. He's going to say something very politically incorrect and people will let it go. Okay. Okay. It's, and that's the same what's happening here with Joe Biden. Interesting to hear what Xi Jinping made clear the Taiwan reunification was unstoppable. The heat hasn't come out of that issue, has it? Okay, well, Chris, look, uh, you know, I, we did say six weeks ago that this Hamas, uh, Israel-Hamas war was not going to escalate, and I've been proven 100% correct. I've been against every foreign policy expert in the world was saying, oh, it's going to escalate, Iran's going to get involved, Lebanon's going to get involved, Turkey's going to get involved. World War Three Has not happened. Has not happened, will not happen, okay? This operation is largely over. Now, I want to make a similar bold prediction here for you and the listeners. Okay, please. go. China will China will not invade Taiwan for mm. in the next 100 years, and I'll tell you why. Now, my wife was born in uh, Shanghai, yeah. and she says that when you get to the age, of, when you start going to school, every single classroom has got this big picture of Taiwan on the wall. And they call it something like the beautiful island or something. And they, 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 the propaganda goes into all these Chinese kids' heads. Oh, we've got to, you know, the evil West have taken Taiwan off us and we've got to get it back. And, and, and it's designed to unite the country behind the Communist Party. And it's all crap. They've got no intention of invading Taiwan. Because let's think about it. What the hell is the upside? There's going to, to invade it, to, to truly invade and conquer and take over, They'd have to wreck the joint. I mean, mm. Taiwan is a magnificent country. It's got a very similar population to Australia. It's a liberal democracy. Everyone's happy. It's wealthy. They're, they've got their own currency, their own legal system. It's not part of China. Now, I know they're ethnically Chinese, but anyway, look, they're the best Chinese. They're the Chinese that racked off because they didn't want to live under communism. Yeah. Okay, so I love Taiwan. Now, they keep – so while it's true that they're never going to invade, it's also true that they're going to keep talking about invading, Okay. There is no, nothing driving them to invade Taiwan. And then what happens if they, if they happen to invade and win? Okay, well, it's, it's, they're going to have wrecked the joint, okay? No, it won't be good. Now, the other thing is, let's say I'm wrong. Let's say in three weeks' time we wake up, 6 o'clock in the morning, China's invaded a, you know, a, a surprise attack on Taiwan. I'll tell you what will happen, Chris. I'll yeah. tell you what will happen. Yeah. The Chinese military will be taken out before morning tea because America... <laughs> America has got a ton of nuclear-powered submarines. And do you know what the great thing about a submarine is? You what? can't detect them. Yeah. The, the Chinese could have a submarine off, off Bondi Beach right now. We've got no way, way of knowing it, okay? Yeah. yeah. Now, America's got the best submarines, okay? Now, they've, they've, got, they've got awesome weapons and missiles on these submarines. 
they can take all the all the Chinese military hardware, all their bases and their ports and everything else. It's all on the east coast. The China, the Americans just go, can just go and blast it to smithereens within three hours. So why would they risk it? They're not going to risk it, but they're going to keep talking about it. Yeah. Why is that? Because they want to whip up the the, the 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 Chinese people who do have that. We all know the Chinese are very intelligent people, very nice people, very good people. But we do know that they have this instinctive sort of, you know, um, desire to support the emperor, yeah. okay, or so in this case support Xi, mm. okay. They, they've got this big, they don't want to dissent against authority. And so Xi rip, uh, whips them up, say, oh, yeah, you, you're not behind us because one day we're going to take back Taiwan. And, Chris, it's all crap. They will leave Taiwan alone. You watch. Okay. Um, did you happen to stay up and watch the World Cup of one-day cricket in <coughs> India between Australia and South Africa? I've loved cricket since I was seven years old. Yet, well, look, I uh, I fell asleep. I, oh. I watched about half. I watched about a third of the South African innings. Uh-huh. So I watched. I watched the no. I, I sorry. I watched all the South African innings. And I watched a third of the Australians. I saw David Warner hitting six after six. I thought, look, this is going to be a you know Australia's going to smash it. Ended up ended up being an exciting game. But I will tell you the interesting thing is on Sunday night we've got. The World Cup final between Australia and India, the two yeah. great cricket teams of yeah. the last generation. Okay, yeah. now you know now India is 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 yeah very much all supreme. They're like the West Indies of the nineteen eighties. Okay? Yeah, they so, are. That, well, they got one point four billion people to choose from, Chris. So you know they, so, <laughs> they should be some of the best players in the world. Well, that's right. Poor little New Zealand with seven million people. They gave yeah they they, yeah. they play they play competitively against India yeah. at one point four billion. But anyway. We've got this grand, this this final on Sunday night. It's going to be. I'll, I'll definitely sit up for that. It's going to be very exciting. Now, the interesting thing is this: you know, there's three there's three forms of cricket. There's the Test cricket. There's the fifty overs. There's the twenty overs. Now they have in all these three fields, they have um, different types of World Cups. There's a Test World Cup, a bit different. They have like a, a World Cup challenge, or, or, and they have the fifty fifty World Cup, and they have the twenty twenty World Cup, which is about every two years. Mm. India since two thousand and eleven has been in most finals for that all, across all three, but they have not won a, a, a World Cup final. Ooh, in, in pressure's test on. Cricket. It's pressure's on them. That's right. That The pressure is on them. Now, they're clearly expected to win. It's in India. They're going to have the – and you know, that, you know where it's going to be played. They've, they've built this massive new stadium down in Chennai, which we used to call uh, Madras. Mm. And, uh, and, and, and you know, you know how they built it? They built it because, yeah, the MCG used to be the world's biggest cricket ground. Yeah. They've built it so it's just about 2% bigger than the MCG. <laughs> uh. <laughs> and they've named it, they've named it the, the Narendra Modi, Modi Stadium, the current president. Yes. Now, man, I, I'm, a, I'm okay for naming stadiums after cricket players and everything, but a sitting president <laughs> goes a bit too far. But Correct. anyway, they have. It's, it's going to be absolutely packed out. Yeah. And it's going to be now. Look, India is probably going to win, but history's against them, and those Aussies know how to fight, particularly yes. when Glenn Maxwell gets going with the bat. Yes. So, Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. All right, I love it. I stayed up till the last ball, uh, tense. All oh, right. On the edge of yeah. my seat, I stayed up and tried to keep my eyes open, and I did right to the very end, just before three o'clock. And it was oh, a, a magnificent game. But uh, I'm bloody yeah. tired today. Let me tell you. Uh, <laughs> I'll let you go. You have a great weekend. Enjoy that cricket match, that uh, final of the World Cup, and we'll talk again next week, mate. Well, we'll video again next week. 
Yes, we'll see each Video. other then. Yeah, yes, 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 yes. Looking forward to that, Chris. Good, mate. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. I go back. Thanks, John Ruddick, MLC, leader of the Liberal Democrats in the state of New South Wales. Good to have your company. Um, the anti-terror expert and intelligence officer from the ADF, Shane Healy, is my guest on the program next. Do not go anywhere. You've got to listen to what Shane has to say about current major events in the Middle East and beyond. We'll be back after a quick news update on TNT Radio. News doesn't stop breaking, and we don't take a break from covering it. TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. China has hit back at US President Joe Biden after he called Chinese President Xi Jinping a dictator following Wednesday's high-stakes summit in California. There are fears hundreds of patients may have been exposed to HIV at a hospital in the United States. And former British Prime Minister David Cameron has turned up in Ukraine just days after he was appointed Britain's new Foreign Secretary, seven years after leaving office. Why not give TNT Radio a follow? We're on all major social platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Gab and Getter. Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time right here on today's News Talk. TNT Radio. TNT Radio. Well, Palestinians wielding axes, guns and ammunition were shot dead by Israeli police yesterday as they launched a major attack or a massacre in Israel. National Police Chief Kobe Shabtai said the group of three men were eliminated at a checkpoint near Jerusalem after wounding six security forces. Eliminated. It's a very IDF phrase. One officer was left in a critical condition after four members of the security forces suffered gunshot wounds. Gee, they were lucky. The checkpoint guarded road tunnels linking the occupied West Bank and Jerusalem. An attack like this was exactly the scenario my next guest predicted on this show about a week ago. Shane Healy fought for his country, Australia, during multiple operational tours in Iraq and Afghanistan in an Army Special Operations Intelligence role. Between 2012 and 2017, he was one of the government's Middle East terrorism threat group's experts, which included briefing senior military and political leaders about the Syrian chemical incident in August 2013. He was the first intelligence operator in Iraq in 2014 for the counter-ISIS mission and has been commenting on aspects of terrorism associated with the long-running conflict in Gaza and Israel for quite some time. Shane Healy, welcome back to TNT Radio. Afternoon, Chris. You were spot on. While all the military attention was focused on Gaza City, Israel's enemies hit back in another part of their border. It was uh, always going to be the next step, uh, and I think we're just seeing the beginnings of the next phase of the, the uh, what's going on. And so do you think there'll be more attacks like that? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Right. What do you make of the so-called evidence of uh, Hamas gun cachet in the Al-Shifa hospital, um, the lack of tunnels under the hospital? But I've seen videos with tunnels under other smaller hospitals in Gaza City. Uh, who's right here? Uh, is it a place where hostages were kept? It kind of makes sense that it would be. Um, is it, um, you know, used being used as a shield for Hamas? And were those guns planted there, as Hamas is suggesting? So uh, I'll unpack the number of questions there, because we have seen this in other conflicts like in Fallujah and Mosul. Now, 
they could be tunnels used for moving wounded soldiers off the battle space into a hospital. So just because there's a tunnel system in and out of a hospital doesn't mean that they're deliberately there to hide fighters. Uh, it could be to move civ the civilian population. Um, in, given that at the moment, anyone above ground is an is a Israeli target. So um, I've been... So hang on, down, so civilians, yeah. ordinary everyday Palestinians, not Hamas, would build tunnels under the ground? No, no, but as I uh, said a few weeks ago, the civilians of Gaza have been using tunnels for a number of reasons for a number of years, moving goods in and out, um, staying below the Israeli detection threshold. Um, and now, more than ever, they're too scared to, to move around above street. So it, it would not surprise me. And speaking to sources on the ground, um, the Palestinians are using subterranean accesses more than ever. Yeah, subterranean accesses. And I've seen, you know, the IDF video where they show uh, another smaller hospital where tunnels have entry points right next to the base of one of the walls of the hospital. I get all of that. It's a safe place to be. It's bloody despicable, though, isn't it? Yeah, but um, again, they prepared for years for this. So in that preparation, they would have been looking at um, the movement of casualty care, the movement of civilians. So I think that this was part of the Hamas planning to uh, facilitate both battlefield casualties and civilian casualties. You know, the last numbers I saw, there was over 30,000 wounded Palestinians and 70% of those were women and children. So, you know, both, so both sides and all groups are going to be using these tunnels. The Israel Defence Forces say they've also found a laptop containing photos and videos of hostages during their operation. They also say that some of the hostages were in that main hospital, Al Shofa, and that a, the body of one of the hostages was found nearby. Is that reliable information? I would say they'd have many laptops with uh, information and intelligence value on them. I would say that given how small Gaza is as an area... It is quite possible that 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 is uh, the body was found in that location, um, and I would say that we're going to see keep seeing this kind of uh, information. And I watch all of the Israeli uh, defence force briefings, mm -hmm. um, and there's definitely um, they've got to be keep to be seen to be making military uh, gains in order to continue to prove to the West that what they're doing is justified. One of my listeners has put on our chat box on our website, tntradio.live. I still remember Dick Cheney with his fake diagram of the Al-Qaeda underground bunkers on David Letterman's show. They lie through their teeth. We've got to be careful of the information we're getting, don't we? Yeah, which is why, um, and I'd be interested to see what he thinks that Dick Cheney lied about having been in some of those tunnels. But... Um, uh, this is the beauty of the internet now. You can, at the click of a mouse on Google or DuckDuckGo, you can look at multiple sources. So I'm looking at uh, media inside of Israel. I'm looking at media inside of Iran. I'm looking at Al Jazeera. I'm looking at CNN. I'm looking at an Australian former soldier, uh, Matty Williams, Willie OAM. He's reporting daily on YouTube live on the ground. He's a former Australian soldier uh, that was also reporting from Ukraine. So he's got excellent coverage. So there's a number of sources uh, and we're not just relying on one or two print media like we were 20, 30 years ago. Give us the name and the account 
or the handle for that previous person, the vet? Yeah, Willie OAM, so W-I-L-L-Y-O-A-M. Maddie Williams, he's excellent. Uh, If you go to YouTube, he uploads at least daily. He's at the front lines with IDF units. He did the same in uh, Ukraine. He's an Afghanistan veteran. Uh, He knows what he's talking about and his accent access is excellent willie oam thank you mate that's fantastic we still haven't seen this conflict spread to other middle eastern countries or other parts of the world although we're getting some violence occurring at these pro-palestinian rallies um at this stage have we passed the point of that possibly occurring no no it's there uh it's not being reported there was isis ambushes uh, in uh iraq military just as yesterday the u.s military is conducting um offensive operations inside of syria and iraq um other countries are doing similar things so again if you get through the first layer of google there is a ton of reporting that there is other uh this conflict is spreading outside of israel right we keep hearing from the White House that a hostage swap is pending. They started saying that on Monday. I heard it again on Wednesday. It hasn't happened. It's turning into Friday. Um, given how, you know, they've got this deadly pursuit of Israelis, why would that even happen? Uh, of course, they've got to get their own people out of Israeli jails. I get that. Um, but, you know, given their overarching ideology... You can't trust them, the Hamas group. Correct, but hostages is their only leverage at the moment, right. especially on a world stage. So yep, yep. as long as they can keep the US at bay, uh, noting that the US will send their Tier 1 National Mission Unit, so your Delta Force, your SEAL Team 6, anywhere in the world to retrieve the US citizen, uh, as long as there's US hostages within uh, Gaza, the US military will be very active in finding them. Yeah. The upper echelons of the Australian government have been split by calls for a ceasefire. Home Affairs, um, uh, sorry, Foreign Affairs Minister Penny Wong was talking about uh, a ceasefire. Anthony Albanese, her boss, said no. Um, So there's a split already. Home Affairs has been quiet. What's your reading of the Australian response to all of this? Uh, I think... They're each politician's unknown and some known bias is coming to the front in some of their comments. I don't. I like the fact that they're not singing off the same talking points because you're getting a bit of uh, honesty amongst some of these politicians. Uh, what does a ceasefire look like? I think that was one of the things that Albanese said, and I agree to him. There is some humanitarian corridors currently in place, uh, but as a down tool ceasefire, as we saw in the West Bank. You know, they might down tools in Gaza, but they're still going to continue operations outside of Gaza. So I think that is, um, it's the best outcome for the civilian population, but it's not going to stop Hamas and it's, therefore it's not going to achieve Israeli security. So I get why both sides are saying no to that. Um, This goes back to my previous point as the hostages uh, are being used for leverage and more important for leverage. Once there's no hostages, what's the point of a ceasefire? Uh, as far as the domestic front, uh, I think that the Home Affairs Minister is extremely out of a depth. Uh, she's already got enough issues going on. She's in charge of cyber. She doesn't understand computers. You know, she's uh, her cyber chief, who was a Defence Air Force Minister, just got stood down for disciplinary reasons. 
So she's scrambling there. She's got the high court challenge uh, with the detention. Uh, she's scrambling there. I think uh, Minister Dutton had a pretty good crack at her and their Prime Minister yesterday in Parliament. Uh, so I think that that one portfolio is too crowded with roles at the moment. And I think that she's uh, the wrong person to be handling it, to be honest. Yeah. Can I shift gears for a second? I'm running out of time here, but I want to discuss AUKUS, the US, UK and Australian Pact for Nuclear Submarines. You've done some work in this sub submarine space. Have we got any regulatory barriers that need to be jumped over yet i'm hearing sort of mixed messages in the last six months about the fact that we have and we haven't we have and this so my first job outside of defense was i was a security manager at a defense contract uh, on the submarine project and one of my main roles was working around the regulatory uh, obligations with the us so itar and their what's their no form so their internal stuff that's never going to be overcome so uh you the government can wax lyrics about all these uh, shared um, proliferation technology, but it's not going to happen, especially considering the Australian government has signed up for some non-proliferation nuclear packs. So how are we going to understand and learn about um, nuclear uh, submarines and energy or, or capability when, we, when we've got some treaties in line? Uh, the US are never, never going to give us complete access to uh, their no fawn and their ITAR regulations and stuff. So it's an issue. Yeah, it is a major issue. And, and yet I wonder whether it's worth all the hoo-ha. Um, is it, a, is it a, a project worth pursuing, do you think, Shane? Yeah, 100%. We're an island nation, and if we don't have a strong navy that can project, we're going to get a stop an adversary when they get to us. So... The uh, nuclear-powered submarines give the Royal Australian Navy and therefore the government the ability to interdict or force uh, engagements well away from Australia rather than, like in World War II, on our doorstep. And this is overlooked because, you know, we've been at war in the global war on terrorism for over 20 years, but it was all overseas. And the Australian public forget that during World War II, Bondi Beach had barbed wire on it. We had midget subs in Sydney Harbour. Yeah. Darwin got attacked. Um, you know, the, the, that generation's sadly gone. And so the current Australian generation has never experienced war. They've, they stand there on Anzac Day and they clap at us that went, but they don't understand that if you don't project power and you don't project uh, force capability, they're going to come and, and at your doorstep, which we've experienced previously. And the, uh, these submarines will give us the ability do that in the 70s we had the f-111 long-range fighter bombers and that was their role so i think this is a, a key capability that the australian government and especially the Royal australian navy need great to have you on the program as usual thank you very much for your insight mate anytime chris fantastic shane healy is his name uh an anti-terror expert and intelligence officer from the adf formerly in the adf and of course uh had operational tours in Iraq and Afghanistan. I've got some news for you out of Tasmania in Australia this afternoon. I remember when this happened. Remember that terrible 2021 tragedy in which six Tasmanian school children were killed in the Bouncy Castle? You may have remembered that. Well, a Tasmanian company has been charged over the tragedy. 
Um, it happened at Hillcrest Primary School in the state's north during an end-of-school year event in 2021. The company, Taz Zorb, has been charged with allegedly failing to comply with a health and safety duty in a way that exposed the children to a risk of death or serious injury. Tasmania's Director of Public Prosecutions said the charges have come about after a lengthy investigation carried out by WorkSafe Tasmania. According to the DPP Daryl Coates, in a statement, a large number of documents have been prepared and considered by the investigators and the DPP in order to reach this decision. Throughout the last year, I have continued to meet with the families of the children who died or were injured in the incident and would again like to express my condolences to each of them. He added there will be no further comment while the matter is before the courts. Zane Mellor, Peter Dot. Jalala Jane Marie Jones, Addison Stewart, Jai Sheehan and Chase Harrison, all Year 5 or Year 6 students at Hillcrest were killed after being flung about 10 metres into the air while inside the inflatable bounce house on December 16, 2021, just before the Christmas of that year. We'll take a break. This is TNT Radio. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. Well, 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 what have we here? U.S. corn farmers defy a scorching summer to grow a record crop. So much for the summer of drought and extreme heat in the U.S., which we had in Texas, that triggered fears about the corn crop damage. On Thursday, the Department of Agriculture, this is last week, made it official. You can't make this stuff up. This This year's corn harvest was the biggest ever. John Lorberg, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, said that Bloomberg scared you witless about drought and extreme heat, told you it would screw up the harvest. Turned out they were wrong. Biggest corn harvest ever. Oops. Now, why did this happen? Well, first of all, it was pretty hot this summer in parts of the country. Other parts of the country, it wasn't that hot. Parts of the country are very dry, especially centered in Texas. I know where I live here in Pennsylvania, we had canyons of corn. In fact, there was so much corn, so much vegetation this year, the deer, which are all around here, aren't even wandering out across the roads from cornfield to cornfield because they have so much of the leftover corn and acorns and everything else in the woods that they can just eat it. And by the way, folklore says that's a sign of a cold winter over here. But here's my point. We are adapting to this. Nature is adapting to it. The more CO2, the more resilient and resistant these plants are, which is the solution. If you're in a panic about CO2 or the temperature, adapt and move on and use freedom and capitalism to do it. It's a loony bin world. The exact opposite thing happens. Is the headline as loud as it was before when we're supposed to be facing a disaster? Of course not. This is TNT climate and weather watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you got. Prescription drug pricing points to corporate Freedom of the press is about your right to know. It's about your right to be informed. Today, there are real threats to press freedom and your right to know about the world around us. We must protect our right to know, no matter what kind of news is important to you. Before it's too late, understand the threats. ProtectPressFreedom.org. This is The Chris Smith Show on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Dashing through the snow with an almost empty sleigh. 
That is the picture we can expect for Christmas, according to the latest surveys on holiday season spending. What are we now? 44 days? 44 days, I think. Westpac found 74% of Australians are planning a much smaller affair this year and there'll be cutbacks on their Christmas spending. We're doing exactly that. We've spoken about some kind of ceiling on Christmas presents. We've spoken about a ceiling on the numbers. We're cutting back on how many dinners we host, sort of getting out of control. Shoppers will be looking for bargains, coupons, deals and cashback offers to help stretch their spending further, according to Westpac. Uh, Westpac Steve Rubenstein said, Budgeting is top of mind as we head into the peak spending season, with households planning smaller and simpler festivities with the higher cost of living. No joke. And, of course, as we've pointed out in a number of discussions in recent weeks, Australia is heading in the other direction, against the tide of inflation falling in the likes of UK and the US. No, 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 no. We've got a Prime Minister who's spent the last year and a half talking about a voice in the Constitution, not trying to deal with cost of living or inflation. No, 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 no. Why would you want to deal with something that's important? So therefore, we've just had an interest rate rise based on inflation rising and inflation continues to rise and we could get another interest rate spike as well all heading in the wrong direction, which is why this story says what it says. E-commerce platform Shopify says consumers are willing to pay for a great deal so their money can go further now. Shopify found around 53% of consumers are planning to do the bulk of their holiday shopping during the weekend that encompasses Black Friday and Cyber Monday. The e-commerce platform said 67% of consumers were open to switching brands based on cost savings. According to Shopify's Sean Broughton, while Australians are concerned about the rising cost of living, 80% still value high-quality products that last. Yeah, I know a lot of people who aren't necessarily big spenders and certainly not spenders of top-quality items in their life, but come Christmas time, oh, no, there's no you know, tripping up or going without some of the best things on the uh, on the benches in terms of, you know, the kinds of cakes that they might get, the kinds of turkeys that they order, etc. They do it big. Um, I made mention a little earlier in the program with John Ruddick about these 84 detainees that have been released because of the change in attitude by the High Court of Australia. It's now run by left-wing former lawyers and uh, the latest Chief Justice of the High Court who was behind the idea to release these 84 detainees, um, he was a captain's pick from the Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese. Well, there's a little bit more information which has come to hand about a half an hour ago, and it's been published in the Sydney Morning Herald. 27 of the foreigners whose indefinite detention was quashed by the landmark High Court decision are cases that have been referred to immigration ministers over several years under the category of very serious violent offences, very serious crimes against children, very serious family or domestic violence, or violent sexual or exploitive offences. Now, why do they want to come to another country? The categories show why detainees had their visas cancelled on character grounds. You see, I keep hearing from the left-wing mainstream media, oh, you know, these people should be treated just like 
normal Australian citizens who get out of jail, they're free, they've done their time after doing the crime. No, 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 no. They're not only not Australian citizens, they're not Australian residents. They've come here illegally. That's why they've been detained. And they've acted illegally, which is why whatever visa they had has been taken off them. Some of them never even had a visa. So what are you talking about? Why would you dare allow these sorts of people, you know, to walk in the public domain without detention? And I know they're in limbo and it's not a good thing to have, but these people have records as long as your arm and some of them have not done their time, despite what The Guardian keeps telling people. It's a lie. That's not true. The... um, the categories show why detainees had their visas cancelled on character grounds. Not every detainee in each character would have been convicted in Australia, and some may have been convicted overseas. Documents tabled in the Senate late on Thursday evening reveal that 40 of the 92 detainees were detained in New South Wales, 24 are from Victoria, with no, oh, sorry, with the balance in Queensland, South Australia, Western Australia, and the ACT. The dashboard um, has been put together and published on the Sydney Morning Herald, just a breakdown, basically. So you've got from Afghanistan, you've got 18 from there, 17 from Iran, 10 from Sudan, 7 from Iraq. Uh, In total, the cohort of 92 people have come from 23 countries, while nine are considered stateless. The document also reveals 21 of the detainees have been referred to Claire O'Neill, the Minister for Home Affairs, um, on a number of occasions. So there you have it. Just a little bit more detail, which gives you an idea of who we're dealing with. And I've got to say, um, we're dealing with people who shouldn't be given any citizenship in this country. But of course, you know, you know what's going on. We've got to be soft. Uh, the High Court in particular has become a ground of soft justice for minority groups. That's all that counts. doesn't matter what they've done, who they've blown up, who they've shot, who they've killed, who they've raped, what kind of kids that they've fiddled with. No, none of that. No, no, no. We've, they've just got to be treated like any normal convict in Australia. No, not at all. And the vast number of Australians would not allow that to be considered, just wouldn't allow that to be considered. There's a teenager in Sydney that's been stabbed um, a hell of a lot of times. A man has been charged with attempted murder, according to Nine News, after an alleged stabbing in Sydney's southwest earlier this week. An 18-year-old man was found with multiple alleged stab wounds at a bus stop on the intersection of Sackville Street and Bath Road in Ingleburn, after being randomly attacked on a public bus, police say, randomly. You're sitting on a bus, heading home, 18-year-old, teenager, and you're randomly attacked. He was stabbed 30 times. The only people who stab people 30 times or shoot people 30 times are hit jobs that need to get rid of people based on drugs or money. But this is random, and you stab someone random on a 30 times? Um, He was taken to Liverpool Hospital in a critical condition. He should not have survived, but his situation has improved and he's now in a stable condition. The 22-year-old man was arrested and uh, was charged with attempted murder. He's been refused bail. will appear in Campbelltown Local Court later today. 30 times. He should get that 18-year-old, should get a lottery ticket out.
is a very lucky individual. Now, I'll leave you in the very competent hands of Lembit OPEC. Thank you so much for your time. I had a great week uh, here on the Gold Coast and a great week speaking with you and giving you all the news and letting you know what I think about the world. Looking forward to hearing from you again next week at the same time, of course. I'll be back on Monday. You have a great weekend. This is Chris Smith on TNT Radio.